I am so thankful again to be with you guys. Um, as you know, as Joel just introduced, my name is James Rep. I'm an elder candidate at Cross Point Coast, and most of you know me, so not a whole lot of introduction necessary. Um, and I'm like really glad to see you guys. Um, you guys are family, so um, you know I feel like yeah, I'm the guest speaker, but you guys are family, so it's not quite the same thing. But um, I'm really excited to be part of continuing this summer sermon series called The Fight for Joy, Walking in Victory Over the Patterns of Sin. And I really like one of the things that Joel just said in the prayer of confession, that when we recognize greed in our own hearts, this, isn't, this sermon series isn't, isn't called The Fight Against Sin. It's called The Fight for Joy because Christ paid it all. So when we recognize that sin in us, the solution isn't to try and fix ourselves. The solution is to look to Jesus. And so that's where, where we find our joy. So as we're doing so uh, in this sermon series, we're, we're focusing particularly on what are known as the seven deadly sins or seven deadly follies, as we are calling them. And uh, I think we're four weeks in now, right? Um, so I don't want us to lose sight of what we're talking about in this series. And like I just said, you know, it's so easy for us to begin to look at uh, a list of these capital sins. And when we recognize the ways in which we fall and pray to them, it's really easy for us to begin to think of ways that we can do better. And we start making promises to God saying, you know what, this week I'm not going to be greedy. I'm going to try not to be greedy this week. We begin to make strategies of self-improvement at making ourselves wise. And God's command uh, in Mark chapter 12, and uh, this is kind of harking back to Jeremiah's introduction uh, to this series. But the, the command in Mark chapter 12 to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength for the believer is not a command of cumbersome obligation, but it is an invitation to find joy in our Father's good provision for his children. For the believer in Jesus, we have seen in the gospel that God has provided not merely a second chance at life, not merely a second chance to get it right, which is far too often how we approach our walk with Jesus. This, good, this isn't the good news of the gospel, but instead that God has provided perfect righteousness in Jesus, which is ours by faith in him. Our response is to walk in joy in the good provision that God has provided for us. So I want to quote Jeremiah on one thing from his introduction to this series, that the fight, for, the fight to obey this command is not a fight for self-righteousness. It's a fight for joy in Christ. Remember, church, the picture that was painted for us in Proverbs chapter 9. We, the simple ones, are being called by both lady wisdom and lady folly. By Lady Wisdom to partake in the good provision that she has labored to provide her guests. And by Lady Folly 
to partake in stolen food and water, which leads to our destruction. Notice again that Lady Folly's offering is not only stolen, but it is a weak, watered-down substitute of the lavish and substantial provision that Lady Wisdom offers those who enter her house. Is this not true of all of these sins? Each of these sins that we're talking about in this series is a twisted and weak substitute for the things that God has provided his people. A counterfeit. A counterfeit of the good and beautiful things that he has provided for his people in Christ. Too often we believe the lie that God's way is restrictive and confining. That's a lie. And we believe it far too readily. C.S. Lewis is is really helpful here, and this is actually one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes. He said in his book, The Weight of Glory, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Our desires are not too strong. They're too weak. So how are we, or how we view this is a good diagnostic for our souls. John Piper is fond of quoting Psalm 1611. Uh, The psalmist writes there, you make known to me the paths of life, the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that fullness of joy is found in what God has provided? Or do we stubbornly persist in the belief that we know a better way? That our way will bring us greater happiness than what God has provided. So so today we're going to be looking at the folly of greed. Our anchor text is from Proverbs chapter 1. So if you would, turn with me there uh, to Proverbs chapter 1. And we'll be reading from... uh, We're reading from verse 8 through 19. Solomon writes there, Hear, my son, your father's instructions, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of anyone who is greedy for unjust gain. 
it will take away the life of its possessors. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we ask this morning that uh, as we consider the folly, the sin of greed, God, we ask that you would be at work in us by your spirit, that you would incline our hearts to be captivated by your love for us and your provision. God, that you would change our affections to see Christ as more beautiful than any of the things that might uh, vie for our attention. God, we ask these things in your name. Amen. So like much of the book of Proverbs, this proverb is King Solomon's instruction for his son who would reign after him. They're not merely, they're, they are not merely wise instructions. They are that. But this is also God's word, and we would do well to pay close attention to it. Um, much like the contrast of Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly, Solomon here makes the case for his son to hear his instruction and to not forsake his mother's teaching. They are to be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck, he says, rather than being restrictive and confining. The instruction is to keep his son from harm and to be a blessing to him. In contrast, the way of the greedy leads to death. The instruction here is not complicated. Simply, don't be enticed by those who would seek to draw you into murder and robbery for unjust gain, driven by greed. The consequences of those things is your destruction. Not complicated. Pretty simple instruction. Don't do this. It will get you killed. Um, I feel like some of the many things that we say to our children, don't do that. It'll get you killed. Um, what does it mean to be greedy? What is greed? Uh, is it synonymous with wealth? Uh, if I have a desire to work hard and provide well for my family... Um, does this automatically mean that I'm greedy? Uh, what if I invest in the stock market? Does that automatically mean that I am greedy? Uh, does, does it mean that I'm driven by greed just because I work hard and God blesses me? Um, so this is how I'd like to spend our time this morning. I want to look at the questions of what is greed, what is its nature, then most importantly, I want to consider what greed is a twisted counterfeit of. In other words, what has God provided that greed has twisted into idolatry? And finally, what is the gospel's response to greed? So what is greed? There are some in the West who would not only say that greed is a good thing, they would say that greed is the driving force of capitalism, and they would go so far uh, as to say, or as to esteem, greed as a virtue. 
Others, in reaction to this extreme view, would swing so far in the other direction as to say the individual wealth itself is greed. It would not be far wrong, though, to say that Western culture is obsessed with having and obtaining more and more possessions and more and more wealth. We are driven to buy the next new thing. Whether it's a new car, a new house, a new cell phone, the latest smartwatch, or any host of things that you can get on Amazon and have delivered to your door in a day or two. The culture of greed is alive and well here in the West. This is why marketing and advertising is such a big business. I know, I'm a marketing professional. Um, Marketers understand that if they can appeal to your desires, if they can convince you that whatever product it is that they're offering, if they can convince you that you need that product, they have you. They've accomplished their goal. I can almost hear Lady Folly calling out to those passing by, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That's the job of the marketer. Now, just one little caveat. I do marketing for a Christian company, so it's completely different. (laughs) We swim in a worldview of consumerism. Whether we recognize it or not, those are the waters that we swim in. In which the consumer is sovereign over his own reality. What we consume is essential to who we are. Carl Truman in his work, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, wrote, Indeed, the underlying dynamic of the consumer marketplace is that desires can never be fully satisfied at least not in any long-term manner. The consumer society really does present persons whose being is in their becoming, constantly looking to the next purchase that will bring about that elusive personal wholeness. Now, I want us to be really careful here. It's really easy for us to look at greed in the culture and begin to think that greed is something out there, something external. This is not how the Bible speaks of these things. As with any of these sins, this sin in particular, Jesus said in, in Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come from from within, and they defile a person. Sin is an overflow of our hearts. So let's make no mistake about when we're talking about greed, we're not just talking about the culture. While those things are true, they come from within our own hearts. And that's primarily what we have to deal with. Sin is an overflow of our own hearts. Our nature, passed down to us from our first parents, is to rebel against God. It's not just something from without. Jesus said this, 
particular statement in response to the Pharisees who were accusing the disciples of eating with unwashed hands. It wasn't about uncleanliness or accidentally uh, distributing germs or consuming germs uh, or anything like that. The point was about being spiritually defied, defiled. Sin or uncleanness is not a result of external things that defile. Rather, it is the condition of the heart that defiles. This sin that begins in the heart then overflows into sinful actions and behaviors, sinful thoughts and actions. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Solomon again here writes that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but with the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Again, we see something that is birthed in the heart, grows into a restless desire. It's a desire, though, that can never be satisfied. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, Paul gives a dire warning. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So Pink Floyd got it wrong. Money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money. A craving for more and more that results in all kinds of evils. We saw this in Proverbs chapter 1. Those who would entice others to murder and robbery do so from a heart of greed. So it is greed that has birthed murder and robbery. I feel like maybe those two things should be reversed, but that's what the notes say, so that's that's what I'm going with. While 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 the Bible is not silent on the issue of greed... The church has labored to provide a succinct and clear definition of exactly what greed is. Well, the first thing we can note is that greed is synonymous with covetousness. Um, This has led to the following definition. Uh, Greed, as defined by Rebecca DeYoung and many others, as an excessive love of or desire for money or any possession. An excessive love of or a desire for money or any possession. Now this is a good start at a definition, but I believe we're going to have to dig a little bit deeper. Now what does it mean for me to have an excessive love of, mo- love of money or possessions? It means that I believe that having or obtaining that money or thing will make me happy. That those things will satisfy my soul. So this is an issue of the affections of my heart. 
Brian Hedges, in his book on these same seven deadly sins, said uh, that the scripture locates the problem of greed in the inordinate affections of our hearts rather than in money or possessions per se. This means that you can have a greed problem even if you don't have a lot of money. The issue is not what you possess, but what possesses you. The greed then is a powerful desire born of seeking to find ultimate joy and happiness in something other than God. I'll say that again. Greed then is a powerful desire born of seeking to find ultimate joy and happiness in something other than God. Colossians 3 verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. And because greed is the same thing as covetousness, in breaking the 10th commandment, we're also breaking the first, having no other gods before him. Greed is the sin that overflows from our hearts when we fail to trust in God's goodness. When we fail to trust in his goodness to provide what we need. We believe the lie then that says what God has provided will not satisfy me, this other thing will. Just like in the garden, God provided every tree in the garden for man's sustenance. But the temptation that caused man to fall was that one tree that was forbidden, the temptation was then that that one tree would satisfy man's soul. The greed, like Lady Folly, promises that it will satisfy our souls, but it is a pit. Its nature, then, is not difficult to discern. Back to Proverbs chapter 1. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Again, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. We already read it. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's difficult to understate the dangers of greed. Paul tells us that it has caused some to abandon their faith. Greed is a devourer. It cannot be satisfied with anything less than destroying you. Like all sin, the more ground we give it, the more it wants. Any sin, when we think of it even as the smallest contrivance, the smallest sin, oh, it's just a little bit of greed. I feel like saying a little bit of greed might not even compute, but a little bit of greed, it'll be all right. But have to understand it and think of it in a personified way that that greed's goal and desire for you is to destroy you, to waylay and sideline your faith. Now, this is saying very little about the sins that flow out of greed. Once greed has captured a person's heart, they will do, we will do, just about anything to satisfy that hunger, that desire. 
in Proverbs, once again, what is the behavior that is the outflow of greed? Described here very clearly, robbery and murder. It's not just greed by itself. So whatever is the object of the greed, that temptation is to push more and more, to get more and more of that object till you will do things that you never thought you would do to satisfy that desire. So what must we do? What is the gospel's response? The thing that greed is a counterfeit here, counterfeit of here, is very simply the provision of the Lord. Not complicated. The counterfeit is to be content with what God has provided you. Contentment and trust in his provision. He is good. Church, if there's one thing that I could impress upon us this morning, and I mean us, I don't mean you, I mean us. But if there's one thing I could impress upon us this morning, is the goodness and soul-satisfying provision of God for us in Christ. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 25 and 26, said, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? I want us to consider again Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is nowhere more true than in the person and work of Jesus. Even in the Garden of Eden, like we were talking about, the path of righteousness was to simply trust in God's provision. Even after the fall, God immediately begins to reveal his plan to redeem his people. He promises us that in his presence that we will find ultimate joy and true satisfaction for our souls. To look, else, to look elsewhere is the nature of all sin and greed in particular. And at this point, when we're trying to think, okay, what's the solution? We often want five easy steps of how not to be greedy this week, right? Um, I don't have any. We want a new law by which we can commend ourselves to God as not greedy. But even in this, we're looking to something other than God to solve the dilemma. Is it possible that we would elevate our own performance to the point of greedily collecting our own self-righteousness as if we could stand before God then and say, I was not greedy after this day, after June 27th. Do we think that we can earn God's favor by our performance of the law? Christian, the solution to our greed problem is not in ourselves. We've already proven 
that greed flows from our hearts. So how could we possibly be the solution to that problem? Greed is not merely some external thing that we can avoid. It comes from within. And it is not something we can easily see in someone else, though we are prone to justify ourselves in doing so. It's not a big house. A collection of latest gadgets and the coolest stuff, greed resides within, always wanting more, never satisfied, pursuing happiness in just a little more. So what are we to do? How do we deal with this way of thinking? If God promises ultimate joy in his presence, that we will find true joy there, then it is only by faith in Jesus. It is only by faith in Jesus that we can be in the presence of God. So it is through Christ that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. This is the believer's reality, that we are seated with him in the heavenly places. We would do well to look to Jesus and remember who we are in him. That's the solution to this problem. And to recognize that all that the Lord has provided for us in Christ. This is true, church. Let us lean into this. That faith in Jesus is not merely the solution for the religious corner of our lives. He is faithful to provide everything we need in the totality of life. And as he changes our affections to delight and joy in him, we will find satisfaction for our souls. We will find satisfaction for our souls in the abundance of the good things that he has provided for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for Christ Jesus. God, we thank you that you have provided in him everything that we need. God, we ask for wisdom and grace to walk in a way that is pleasing to you, but only in the joy of Christ, not in an effort to maintain a personal righteousness. God, teach us to look to you, to look to Christ and not ourselves. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.